0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska, that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Psalm 18. Title of that Psalm in my Bible it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress. In the subheading in my Bible says, To the choir master. The Psalm of David the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of shield entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds, dark. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through. His clouds, Lord, also thundered in the heavens. And the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the sea, the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my supporter. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because... He delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. all His rules were before me and His statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before Him and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless men, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp, the Lord my God, lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a truth, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him who is God, but the Lord. And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me. Your gentleness may be great. <clears throat> you gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them, and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you equipped me with strength for the battle, and made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but He did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people, you made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me. Who delivered me from my enemies as You exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is the word of God for the people of God today. Amen. Right. Father, when we thank You for Your Word. We trust that it is perfect and it is true. When we ask, God, that You would be powerfully present among us, that Your Spirit would go to work in our midst. Well, we beg You, God, to remove any kind of hindrances that we walked in the door with, any kind of distractions, any sin, any weight that would bind us or stop us from hearing a life-giving, corrective, Encouraging, strengthening, even rebuking, even saving—word for me. So God, we pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Your precious Son Jesus. We trust that You'll do it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, "Amen." Amen. Amen. Maybe see. Psalm 18 is uh, one of my favorite Psalms of all time. Uh, I have found uh, tremendous strength in Psalm 18 Uh, over the years through some of the most difficult seasons of my life. um, Really, as you look at this Psalm, uh, if you're going to try to boil all 50 of these verses down to a single statement of what it's about, um, I'm sure some of you are just giggling inside. Like, Joe, boil anything down to a short statement? You really? Yeah. Uh, main thrust of this chapter is David uh, praising God for his salvation over his life. Uh, to make it even shorter than that, it's literally a psalm of salvation. Really. This would have been sung. You lay this praise song against praise songs that some of our modern music um, folks put out, I mean, it mean, this puts those to shame. You, you just don't get any better than this. I mean, just 50 lines, 50 verses, um, all centering on the topic of God's saving power. Most commentators uh, believe that uh, this psalm was probably written near the end of David's life as he kind of looks backwards over the many victories that God had given to him. And the emotional kind of a feeling uh, in this psalm really uh, should be filled with excitement, okay? That's really the emotional feeling uh, throughout the psalm. That emotional excitement is there because of all the victories that David had witnessed God winning on his behalf throughout his life. So for some of us, this would be similar to the feeling that we get when we're watching the Huskers win a game. Um, or even just find out that they might even play a game. It might be something real excitement if that were gonna happen this year. But it's probably not gonna happen this year. So for others of us who hate the Huskers, because there are some of you here, I know who do, we pray for your salvation each day, so this song was good. <laughs> this song was good for you, too. Um, walking aside, I mean, the reality is we all we all have uh, places of our lives where we either have experienced God's saving power, not just in the soteriological sense of God saving me from hell, but uh, God's saving, there, there are ways in which we uh, experience the excitement of the wind. Right? Uh, I heard a report this week from one of our members that uh, her friend um, overcame her battle with cancer. She, she got the, the word that cancer went into remission. That's an exciting moment when you get that word. Can you imagine the emotional feeling of that that was you or a loved one? That's the emotional feeling that's in this song. Maybe, maybe when you overcome some kind of addiction that's had its tug and pull in your life for a long time. Every time you take a step of victory or experience a season of victory, that is the feeling you get. It's exciting. Man, i I'm 90 days sober. I'm nine years sober, whatever it may be. Maybe you've experienced this kind of excitement when God put your marriage back together. God gave you a new marriage. When God restored a relationship that was broken. That's the excitement that David feels when he's writing this song. When this song would have been sun, it would have been sun with great excitement. I, I, I don't know what song it is for you that you hear that comes on the radio that you're like, yes! And you, you crank the song up, right? But you're excited to hear the song because it's got some kind of memory in it? Like it I want to find it, as many ways as I can to help us understand that there is excitement in this song because of the work of God overcoming all the day so Doing a work of salvation. The bottom line here, um, that David's mind is filled with God's saving work in and through his life. Okay? In and through. It's hard for us as Christians at times when we get, get in this little box of, of this my own little personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, it's all about personal salvation with, with me and Jesus. And the neglect of the fact that Jesus didn't die just to save you. One of the things that you and I probably to get done with is our selfishness, and we think it's all about us. Right? There's a community that Jesus died for. The individuals within that community. So it's not just the work that Jesus does saving inside of us, but the work that He does through us is vitally important. When somebody comes to me and says, oh, "Jesus is saved me. I, I trust in Jesus," like that's that's the American motto. That's the American motto. We believe in God here in America. It's popular in the Western culture, though. So when somebody comes and says, hey, I, I believe in Jesus, do you? And is he working through you or just in you? Because if he's only doing work in you and not through you, then I question, I question whether the fruit of your life actually is saving. So it's an in and through that I see happening here in David's life. His mind is filled with excitement over that saving work. And What, what David basically does is he, he just rehearses. He rehearses how he called out to day or called out to God for salvation during some of the most difficult seasons of his life, and then he describes God's response to his cries for help, and then he gives this lengthy description of his saving relationship with God, and then at the end he praises God for his salvation. So I'm going to pick that apart. Four chunks. We'll break this down into. We are verse by verse, word by word preachers here. That's a value. But I will guarantee you today, we're not going to do word by word preaching of 50 verses just to let you all know you're going to get home in time for the match. So I'm going to break it into four sections. I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses in each of those sections. I think like they're kind of the, the highlight of that section. And then I'll just encourage you, like when you go home today and throughout this week, spend some time. There's 50 flipping verses there for you to spend some time in, right? Spend some time there. Go back and listen to this sermon a couple times, maybe test me out, see if what, what PJ said was right or not. Verse 9, see, David calls out to God for salvation in verses 1 through 6, right? And, and in verse 6, specifically in that first section, David specifically says this. He says, In my distress I called upon the Lord to my God, I cried for help. <clears throat> if you wrap your mind around this: David's not just crying out to some faraway God that is unconcerned about the needs of his people. David is calling out to the God that he knows personally. David actually refers to God with a very personal name, starting with the word "my." In most. Cases, especially when you go back to the Greek. He actually refers to God with eight personal names. Calls him what? He calls him my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my refuge, my shield, my salvation. Is strong. It's not just that David calls out to God for help, David actually calls out to God. Or salvation. And when he does this, he calls out to the God that he knows. He doesn't know about him, he knows him. It's the difference between me telling you all sorts of great facts about my wife and then actually knowing her because I spent time with her. That's the difference. David knows God in an intimate, personal way. And he loves God. He loves God. Why? He loves God because he has personally experienced the presence and the power of God's salvation in his life. Second thing that we notice as we move our way through the text is that God responds to David's call for salvation, right? Responds to it. Verses uh, 6 through 19. You look at the latter half of verse 6 in your Bible. David says, from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. And then for the next 13 verses or so, uh, David launches into this description, this really powerful description of God's response to his call for help. The cool thing about God is God doesn't leave David on red. He doesn't. Didn't send this text message and God's like, "Man, eh, busy. God answers back. And and his response, David's description of God's response, is really meant it's really meant to knock our socks off, right? It's meant to be so over the top that it just causes us to go, wow, that's God. If God doesn't show up late to the fight. And uh, truth be told, when God does show up in the fight, he's not a pansy, right? He's not a pansy in any way. Like, uh, I often joke about guys that I like to have in a dark alley. <laughs> and uh, yeah, God's, God's not a pansy here. When God responds to David's call for help, what happens? Look at your text. so you follow along, When God responds to David's call for help, man, the earth gets rocked, Uh, The mountains get shook at the sight of God's anger. The the image of God in in these verses, as, as you look at it, and it reminds me of the ferociousness, the passion with which God shows up to do battle against our enemies. You think of this picture. This is the God, this is the Father that you want to show up in the room when your enemies are coming after you, right? Smoke's coming out of his nose. He's bringing fire out of his mouth. He's got great balls of fire getting shot at the bad guys. The heavens are parting like the Red Sea. There's this mighty wind around him as he rides into town, cloaked in swirling Darkness, kind of like a tornado of wind and rain. And coming out the middle of that is all these hailstones that are aimed at the bad dudes. That's who I want right in the town to rescue me from my abusers. Amen. Anybody else? Now, where I find myself in trouble, this is the father that I want to have riding into battle on my behalf. reminds me of the, the Narnia movies. I always reference those, right? Love the night, you know, the lion, the picture of the lion next to the little girl, and the bad guys are coming. All you can see is her, and she's afraid. And then the, the camera changes angle, and there's Aslan right next to her, and the bad guys are coming. And he opens his mouth, roars, and the bad guys are like, Poof. That, oh, I love it. That's the picture you get here, right? Whenever I find myself in trouble, this is the father that I want to have riding into the battle on my behalf. I want want God's voice to not just speak all nice and quiet and turn him into this little Caucasian blue eyed modern dude. I want God's voice to rock, right? I want it to thunder in the room when God speaks, when my enemies are present. I want to see the sky completely filled with these arrows that David is talking about, lightning flashing as my father comes to rescue me to annihilate my abusers. Isn't that what you want? I want to see the sea. I want to see the sea of difficulty parting in front of me as I make it to the other side. And as I make to the other side, I want to be able to turn back and I want to look back and I want to see the waves that come crashing down on my enemy just like the Egyptians who had enslaved Israel for so many years and then wound up facing the wrath of God in that Red Sea. I want to see that kind of victory in battle against Satan, sin, and the grave. God's response to David's call for salvation here, it's capped off at the end of this section, this image of God's fatherly compassion care, right? you look at the last few verses of this section um, down towards the end of 6-19 and you see God's like fatherly compassion, his care. David describes him as tenderly pulling him out of the pit of despair. Out of that pit of despair and fear and death, he calms and he tenderly pulls him out. So even though David's enemies were... Too strong and too mighty for him to overcome. There, There is not an enemy that you or I face that isn't going to melt at the sight of our warring God who's riding in to rescue us. You see this when, when David says in verse 19, when he brought me out into a broad place, he rescued me because he delighted in me. That's such a key point in the text, I believe. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Here's the thing. God doesn't just delight in rescuing you merely for the rescue. He delights in rescuing you because he delights in you through the shed blood of Jesus. You and I will never be perfect this side of heaven. That's the whole creation, redemption, fall, new creation, glorification thing Talk more about that later. I don't need to get off on of it. But when, when God comes to you to rescue you, He does that because of the work of His Son Jesus at the cross. And He's looking upon you, and He sees no imperfections. He sees no brokenness. He sees no sin. Why? Because the shed blood of Jesus is is over you. Therefore, God now delights in you, not just in rescuing you. He rescues you because he delights in you. Third section of the text, uh, verses 20 through 45. You can kind of see how David is just moving along in the Psalms he writes. You can kind of see the emotional movement of it, right? I called on God. God answered me in a powerful way. Now, where's he going to head next? Well, this, this moves his heart into describing the kind of salvation relationship that he has with God. Oftentimes, theologians and pastors and preachers and Christians, well, when we make salvation all about this, like, you know, this Romans Road thing, you know, not bad, don't hear me wrong, but we make it about that, we make it about the sinner's prayer, we make it about five points of salvation, whatever it may be, right? Um, we, we make salvation about this one-time thing that happens when you and I pray the prayer the a camp or church or whatever. <coughs> or we make it some big theological point that really has not a lot of like personal meaning other than get your butt up front to the altar and pray, otherwise you're going to hell, and then it turns into fire insurance instead of relationship. Right? I don't know how many of us in this room could admit that you know, I give in to that at times. My relationship with God is just fire insurance, not really an intimate relationship. David here, David, like, dives deep into the relationship that he has with God. Now, as you look at verses 20 through 45, uh, we can make some mistakes when reading. So it's important for us to understand when I think the key... Um, text is of this section. So in verses 20 through 45, I think it would be important for you to maybe um, underline, circle, smiley face, happy, highlight, whatever you do, verses 31 and 32. Okay, verses 31 and 32, draw attention to those as the key. And then what you would do is you would then draw an arrow from 31 and 32. Draw a little arrow, you know, <laughs> a circular swing or something, maybe a different number. Draw that arrow up to verses 20 through 24 and then circle all of 20 to 24. Okay, That might be a helpful vision or image for you as you're studying the Bible to do so. Here's why. I think the key to understanding verses uh, 20 to 45 is verses 31 and 32 because in those two verses, what does David say? Look at it with me. He says, For who is God but the Lord? I love the question. Could could camp there for a long time, right? But that's a question that's being asked everywhere. Who is God? Well, most of the culture around us wants to say, I am God. Right? Oh, God. Not meaning Joe is God. Maybe. We each individually are God. We make our own decisions. Nobody governs what we do. Uh, and I, even if I disagree with you, that's okay. Big deal, right? So I, I won't camp there for long Who is God with the Lord? It's an important question. David's, David moves on again and asks another question. Just ask a question a different way. And who is a rock except our God? So what's he doing? What's he doing? David is drawing attention to God. Who is God? Am I God? He, he's, he's, he's starting that conversation. Who is the rock except our God? Here's his answer. The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. Made my way blameless. Forwards. He did graduate high school. Thank you, Jesus. Made my way blameless. Circle those within the highlight, okay? Or we'll put a square around them or brackets. Give me a little heart. Put a little heart there in your Bible. Yes, it's okay to write in your Bibles, folks. And you're not, you're not defacing God's property. Right and if you disagree with me, that's fine. We can agree to disagree. How about that? we all the way back around. Because I'm not God. Made my way blameless. So those verses are the key to understanding this section of the text. Why? Because as David describes his salvation relationship with the Lord, it can honestly sound like David actually believes that he was saved by God because of his own righteousness. It can sound that way as you read the text. In fact, if you take verses 20 through 24, I alluded to drawing an arrow to that earlier. If you were to take verses 20-24 out of the context, which I absolutely test, I think God does too, because God has a purpose when he writes things to you people, just like my wife has a purpose in writing a letter to me, but if you take one thing out of it and misrepresent what she said about me, what's going to happen? You're going to taste the ferocious wrath of of Christ. (laughs) In, in in, In the case of God's word, it's context. You can easily read 20 to 24 like it's like, oh, it's all about me. I did this. Look how great I am. If you take it out of context, when you bring in the context of 31 and 32, you get this picture of David's relationship with God, right? It's a picture that illustrates God's power to make sinful men into blameless men. Think about that. But not one of us in this room is not sinful. You had a sinful thought a moment ago. I'm certain about it. Some of you thought it about me. Some of you thought it about this. You don't want to admit that. It's okay. You don't have to. It's between you and the Lord. I don't need to hear it. (laughs) Some of you, some of you had some sinful thoughts about your family members or your spouse or your kids this morning. I don't know. You, yeah, well, We know we're sinners, right? We know we're broken. I, I hope we all get that here. one of us in this room is perfect. What does God do? God takes simple, broken people and He makes us blameless. That's just that one thought this week as I was studying and praying. Like, this blew me away one more time. Just blew me away at God's power. Because of David's trust in God... David then experienced this eternally life-saving relationship with God. And and the the benefits of that redemption, the benefits of that salvation relationship, they're all over this section. David was made righteous by God. David was cleansed by God. His wickedness was washed away by God. He he became blameless before God. He was innocent in God's presence. God looked upon him like a perfect child. All David does is just compound words. Lots and lots of words over and over again to show this relationship between him and God and what God had done for him. What David done is he had experience. He didn't just have this mere head knowledge about the doctrine of salvation. He wanted to argue with every other person around him on Facebook or wherever else. David is writing about something that he had experienced. And it was the mercy and the kindness the patience and the humility. As well as the provision. Listen to all these words he uses. God had provided him with the strength. And the safety and the salvation and the support. And the steadiness and the victory and the deliverance and the rescue and the steadfast love. He uses all those words in this Section to describe what God had done for him in relationship. You could say the investment that God had made in the relationship. God had literally given himself to David as he drew David towards him. David had all of these resources. Namely, the resource of the presence of God at his disposal. That's what he had. So... What would that lead you to? Leads David in this fourth and final section, verses 46 through 50. Leads him to read, leads him to praise God. Leads him to praise God for his salvation. So, so David has recounted his earnest cry out to God in the face of certain death. Uh, he, he's, also, uh, he's also described God's response to that call. And then he's kind of pressed pause for me because just led it right into it, into describing this relationship, this safe relationship with God. And at the tail end of that, he can't help it but to praise God. Like, ah. like if I don't believe really you can praise God, then you've got serious heart issues, right? And, uh, you know, Jesus referred to David as a man after God's own heart, so David had his issues for sure. Let him to praise God for his salvation. And here's an important note, just a sideline theological note about this, this section of scripture, as well as as well as 20 through 24. Most of you probably won't be done, as quite like I will, but <clears throat> that section, 20 through 24, as well as a portion of this section, um, really is pointing to Jesus. And, um, and it would take us a long time to lay the foundation of that. We're going to through lots of scriptures to get there. But do your study on that. It's fascinating to find out. Uh, lots of what David is saying here in this psalm is uh, founded on a promise that God had made to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13. In that section, God had promised to David to establish his throne forever in the coming Messiah, Jesus. So, it's not only David's experience of God's salvation over him, but it's also David's hope in in the eternal nature of God's salvation to him. It's those two together that then leads David to proclaim in verses 46 and 50, proclaims this, look at it with me, 46 and 50, the Lord lives. How about that for a prophetic statement? The Lord is alive. The tomb is empty. right? The Lord is alive. The tomb is empty. You can't kill God. Lord lives. And blessed be my rock. And exalted be the God of my salvation. Then verse 15. Great salvation he brings to his king. And shows steadfast love to his anointed. To David and who. Last words. Is offspring Forever. Points you to Jesus. Is what this points to, when you read Old Testament stuff, and you don't find it pointing you to Jesus, you haven't done the hard work of studying. It. Everything in all of Scripture finds its point in Jesus. The reality here is that God had given David the victory over his enemies. God had delivered him from his enemies. He lifted him up out of the pit of despair. He elevated him above his enemies. He rescued him from death for all of eternity. This God, the Lord, was worthy of David's exuberant praise. And here's the reality. It's an easy implication to catch. If God is worthy of David's exuberant praise, then he's worthy of our exuberant praise. Now, by way of application, because that... We just work through and gave meaning to the text, right? <clears throat> when you get to the application <clears throat> portions of study, uh, you, what question do you ask? Why does it matter? Right? No. It's a question I think you'll hear from me often. Why does it matter? We could pray right now and send you out the door with a head full of knowledge. Here. It's important for us to spend some time applying text. So why does this matter? What what difference, really, is this going to make in our lives? One scholar remarked on it this way. I think I I might have it on the screen for you here in a minute. (coughs) One scholar remarking on Psalm 19. He said this. He said that the light of Christ in this psalm is like a floodlight. So you think of a picture of a floodlight? Behind an ice sculpture shining through and melting the ice with its heat. And I would add, until all that we can see then is the person and the work of Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb extending to us the hope of eternity. So that's why this matters. See, the reality here for all of us, and I'm sure that you guys would agree, the reality for all of us is that we live in a broken world, full of broken people, full of broken systems. Turn on whatever news channel you like right now, if you even dare to do so in a season like this. Maybe you love it. That's cool. There's a sick part it that does too, so I'm just kidding, you guys. <laughs> it's not, it's not, I don't think it's a sin. Anyways, turn on whatever news station you want to right now and you don't need me to tell you the list of absolutely insane things happening in our world. It's not new. Broken people, broken world, broken systems. And the world is no more broken today than it was in David's day when he wrote this psalm. Here's the thing. Like us, David often struggled with placing his trust and placing his hope in broken pursuits, broken promises. And you and I would be remiss if we didn't at least admit that yeah, there's days where I place my trust and my hope in something other than the God of the universe. I think about David, I'm just taking from David's life, just to kind of prove the point. And if you're better than David and you don't do some of these things, we ought to talk. I just want to know who you are and how that works for you. David, man, David found ways of trusting in sexual addiction, right? That's why he went after Bathsheba. trusted in that instead of trusting in God during that time. trusted in political power. This is a season for that. He trusted in political power, his own political power to cover up his sin with Bathsheba by using his power to not only rape Bathsheba but to also take out her husband, his friend. So he used his political power, he trusted in that, right? There's some other things David. trusted in uh, murdered his friend. I, I, I think he trusted in his own passivity. Anybody else here struggle, struggle with passivity? Like, yeah, there's a fight that needs to be fought there with my kid. or my brother who's walking in sin. I'm not trying to point at people. I just do know. <laughs> David. <laughs> 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 yeah, no. the, the reality is that David trusted in his own passivity um, when his daughter Tamar was raped by one of her brothers. He just ignored it ignored it. I I, I don't care how courageous of a man or woman you are in this room. It's easy for all of us to look in our lives and go, yeah, there's a time when I ignored that thing in my own life or in someone else's life that I should have been getting after. So I share all that just to simply say that I think David was a broken man just like us. Easy for us to connect with that. The reality is that David is just as much a product of living in a broken world you know, sin as we are. But the reality is that doesn't change who God is. Okay? It doesn't change who God is. God is still the one who created the world and all of its inhabitants are perfectly bring in glory. Our sin does not shackle the God who can make the earthquake. God had a plan all along to redeem us from our old enemies, Satan, sin, and the grave. And that plan, which was laid up for the foundations of the earth were laid, that was executed through Christ's execution his victory in the empty tomb three days later. That's what shines through this text and gives us hope. So we live with that same kind of hope that David did as we cling to the hope of Christ's return in glory to make all things new. to Take us home. To be perfected in the presence of perfection. Our Father in heaven. So in conclusion... Bring this all together. <clears throat> How do we respond to this? <clears throat> what difference is it going to make in our life when we walk out here today? i got four quick points I want to make as I conclude and wrap it up. Pray that you write them down. Pray that the Lord would use it for you. Number one, cry out to God for salvation. Cry out to God for salvation. That doesn't mean that, oh, I already prayed the prayer for salvation. I ain't got to do that. No, I, I think you probably should. Remember how David says, in my distress, I call upon the Lord to my God and I cried for help? It's not just that David called out for help. He called out for salvation from the God who he knew and loved. And he loved God because he personally experienced the presence and the power of God's salvation in his life. You see, here's what I believe. I believe that crying out to God for salvation is not just merely a one-time thing you do at a camp or a Sunday gathering. Don't hear me wrong. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. You can believe that if you want to. I don't care. We can argue about it if you want to. I don't care. I'm just saying. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. So I'm not preaching, go get saved again. What I am preaching is this that crying out to God for salvation, that's the language of a Christian. That's the conversation between a Christian and their father who has saved them. Constantly living like, God, man, I know you saved me. And do that word of blessing once again inside of me in such a way that it boosts my heart, right? So what does that look like? When you come to God in prayer, admit your sin, Ask God to forgive you. Confess your trust and belief in Jesus' work at the cross. Thank Him for being faithful. Cry out to Him for salvation. Admit, sin. Receive forgiveness. Confess, trust. That should be a part of the regular language of our conversation with God. Second thing I notice in the text uh, by way of application is trust that God delights in you. Trust me. He likes you. Remember when David says that God heard my voice and my cry to he reached his ears in verse 6. Here's the thing. There is an enemy that you're going to face that isn't going to melt at the sight of our warring God who is hell-bent on rescuing us because, as David says again, in verse 19, he, God, brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. If you've experienced saving relationship with Jesus, where you've trusted in God, you've admitted your sin, then you're in that place where you know that God delights in you. And listen, listen, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, okay, you might be in a couple different camps. I'm going to take a few minutes. i need in a couple different camps. You, you grew up in church your whole life. You heard it all, whatever, right? You're sitting here you're like, yeah, I heard it all. Not quite sure I'm following Jesus. Hey, that's fine. Here's the thing. What I want you to hear is that God delights in you, He loves you. How can that be? That can be cause of Jesus. And if that's you, you're hearing you're like, I asked me to know if I'm sick. I do you know? I had that relationship with God. And trust me today and know he delights in you because of his work at the cross. And if you could if you grab a hold of the fact that your father delights in you, what could that do for an ongoing relationship with him? God doesn't just delight in resting, He actually delights in His relationship with you. So, I just want to encourage you spend time listening to God's Word. Find a quiet place. All of us should find a quiet place sometime this week and listen to hear from God. Write down what you hear and trust that God will answer you because He delights in you. Which brings me to point number three invest in a relationship with God. And remember, in verse 31 32, we spent some time there, right? David said, "Who is God but the Lord? Who is a robber of or God, the God who put me with strength, and made my way blameless. Remember all the words that David uses to uh, describe the investment that God made. Listen to these: mercy, and the humility, and the provision." <laughs> and the strength, and the safety, and the salvation, and the support, and the steadiness, and the victory, and the deliverance, and the rescue, and the steadfast love of God. Those are just some of the words that David uses. Roughly 12 to 13 words describe the investment of relationship that God had made as God gives inside of David, right? Think about that. How does that move you to invest in a relationship with God then? Well, you can do it. You can... Do that by getting into your Bible, you can do that by spending time in prayer. You can do this on a daily basis, you should be really. I mean, a couple days goes by, not a big deal, just like a spouse do not see their, their husband or wife, don't see each other for a day or two because nothing's going on, you know, got a trip going on, work some funky hours, whatever. But if that kind of pattern goes on for a long time, what's going to happen in that marriage? You're going to get broke, all right? So, in a relationship with God. Spend time reading his words, spend time praying on a daily basis, <clears throat> join a gospel community here. Uh, for those of you that are new and like, what the heck is these gospel community things are all talking about, they're small groups. We just like to put a different word to it because we like to be different. No, not really. Uh, the, the, the term gospel community actually kind of drives after what we want to see. We don't just want to see a, a Bible study, good stuff, don't get me wrong. We just want to see a book study, good stuff, don't get me wrong. That's not what gospel communities are. You don't want to see those being just like little counseling groups, right? Or or self-help or whatever. Gospel communities. You should get yourself in one if you're not in one. Okay? Find what they are. Ask a leader. Come talk to me. Read your Bible. Pray. Get into community. Invest in your relationship with God because He's invested so much in you. That's grace-based, not legalism. Legalism is you need to invest in your relationship with God so that God will invest in you and so you'll be better and so that you'll be more holy and so that you'll like love you more. That's legalism. Okay, so you know. So we say, invest in God because God's investing in you right, so much. Fourth thing and final thing. Praise God for His salvation. We're going to get ready to do that here in a few moments. We're going to sing songs. We're going to take communion. We're going to have an opportunity to pray for each other if you need some prayer. going to that. We're going to praise God together. Praise Him for His salvation. Never forget that the Lord lives. Blessed is our rock who is exalted. Exalted be the God of our salvation, right? God has given us the victory over our enemies. That's the picture all throughout here. God has delivered us from our enemies. He has lifted us up out of the pit of despair. He has elevated us above our enemies. He has rescued us from Satan, sin, and death. Listen, whatever Satan's been speaking to you of this week about how worthless you are or shameful you are or guilty you are or whatever words he uses when he speaks to them that you know darn well deep inside don't come from your Father in heaven. Those words have been beaten. They're powerless. Don't give them power over you. Know that you can trust in Jesus and he says to you, I delight in you. I delight in you. Don't listen to Satan's words. He's been beaten. Sin. Sin comes to tempt. Wouldn't you like to do this thing? Man, it would make you feel great. Hey, it would kind of relieve you from all the difficulty in this world. But you know and I know that what sin promises is bankrupt. There's no no follow through on the promise of sin. It ain't no good. It ain't going to follow through because it will feel good momentarily. But on the back end, you're going to feel like crap, right? Because you're going to know, man, it was wrong. Know that the power of Satan and sin have been broken at the cross of the empty tomb. And know this final thing death has been beaten too. Death's a scary thing, it comes for all of us. All of us are going to face death one day. But the power of sin has been broken. You and I will not die for eternity if we trust in Jesus. We have eternal life balance in front of you. Therefore, death will not get the final word. The final word that you're going to hear is not death and it's stain or it's murder. The final word that you're going to hear for the rest of eternity is stepping into your Father's presence and Him saying, I love you. I delight in you. I'm so glad you're here. I couldn't, I couldn't wait for you to get here. I've been waiting for this for eternity to be with you. Those are the kinds of words you're going to hear from God in eternity. Why? Why? That's because plan of That's because plan to salvation. So, this is the work of God in Psalm 18. This is the work of God in you if he's saved This is the work of God in you. He's in the process of saving you this morning. Running from you like a rebel. He still delights you. He still loves you. His invitation to you is come. Come to me where I will lift all your words. I will show you the victory that you have in me. And I'll give you a hope that you can hold on to for eternity. That's the message of this psalm. Psalm 18. Love it. Of you guys, be good. let's pray as we close. I invite you guys to stand with me. Bob, oh, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, for this salvation. Pray, God, in these closing moments, for that you would move our hearts to praise you, to worship you, to find our joy and our excitement in you. Um, we pray that you would uh, bring us to the foot of the cross, this bloody cross, and throw it into the tomb, and give us the hope of Heaven. Help us to hang on to that eternal promise that You have given us, Father, and pray. Lord, we love You. Thank You for Your faithfulness and speaking to us through Your Word. Ask God these moments that You would come to the power of Your Spirit and highlight things that You uh, um, that you wanted to highlight for us. I, I know that I use a lot of words to, uh, uh, to describe and to explain 50 verses. And so, God, pray that You would take whatever words You meant <laughs> Drive deep into the hearts of everyone here. Pray that you would do that. Trust you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, please say You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.